my name is Mark Harris and I am Enterprise Doctor. I do advice and support for small businesses. What I also do is business podcasts. And today's podcast is a little different because it's not really a conversation about business. It's a conversation about a particular type of people within business. And that particular category of people is people of color. And I think I'm comfortable using that phrase. I have two guests on today's show. The two conversations were recorded at different times and I've stitched them together for this show. So I'm going to talk a little now. You'll then hear the first guest and then there's a little pause to separate the two and you'll then hear from my second guest. And at the end, I'll say a few concluding words. The first guest is a guy called Andy Best. He is managing director of a business with, I think, six employees, and he knows what he's talking about on many different subjects, and I am going to share with you right now that he is black, and that's one of the main reasons I invited him on the show. I wanted a black voice on this show to talk about this topic, to talk about discrimination, to talk about race, to talk about what it's like to be a black person in business right now. I'm not going to tell you the name of my second guest because she didn't want me to. And I think it's so sad that the world in which we live is one where she didn't feel comfortable saying the things that she says if people were going to find out who she was. So if you're interested in what Andy says, his contact details are in the podcast notes. If you're interested in what she says, her contact details aren't. As I say, I will say a few concluding words at the end of the show. And in a couple of days time, I'll be launching the second of this two-part mini series, if you like, where I have two more guests of color. But for now, I'm going to let you listen to those two conversations and let you draw your own conclusions from them. My guest right now on the podcast is Andy Best of Change Plus Plus. How are you, Andy? I'm very well, thank you, Mark. How about yourself? Yes, I am good. Thank you very much. I wanted, before we talk about the matter at hand, I wanted to just give you an opportunity to tell listeners who you are. Change Plus Plus, what does Change Plus Plus do? And please tell me why there are two pluses in the company name. And it is actually the plus symbol, which people can't see written down on a podcast, but they will in the podcast notes. And what does the company do? Okay, yeah. So um, my name's Andy. I'm a managing director here at Change Trust Plus. And what we do is we are business intelligence consultants and specialists. We typically work with clients who are in the hospitality industry, although that's not what we, we do. Um, but we work a lot with customers' data, um, along with their analytic capabilities to allow our clients to be able to actually get value from the data that they have within their business. Um, and as I think we all know nowadays, everybody has masses and masses of data, but it's yeah. no good if you can't actually get any insights out of it. And in terms of me as an individual, um, the reason why this topic is quite close to my heart is because I am you know, a relatively young black male. So racism is something that I have experienced um, in various forms over my life. And, and it would be great to talk about how it has uh, had an impact on my business. Cool. I like, I like the phrase relatively young. Is that compared to me then? 
it's an odd one. I don't think of myself as young anymore because I'm in my, my early 30s. But when I say, oh, I'm not that old, or I'm old, and people say, no, 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 you're still a spring chicken. It's like, mm. Well, <laughs> yeah, by my standards, I agree you're relatively young. So let's talk about racism, which is an unpleasant subject, but it's, I think, a, a necessary subject, and it's why we're both here today. In the world of business, what's been your experience, maybe before you were the MD of a company, maybe since you're the MD of a company, help us out here, what's it been like for you? So it's been a bit of a journey. Um, so I, I started working at Change Plus Plus, uh, actually it was 12 years ago, early this week actually, and I took over as MD back in October last year, so that's October 2019. So up until that point, obviously, I've been working through the ranks, as it were. So I've seen things both as a, a fresh graduate out of university up to being you know, both a senior member of the team and now obviously managing director. So things have changed um, in the way that I think I am perceived and received when I go to meet clients or when I do networking. And I think part of that is to do with my seniority within the business the end of the day as a junior consultant people are going to treat you differently to they do when you're a managing director um, part of that is going to be to do with age as well but i think also part of it is going to be to changing changes in society so to give you an idea of some of the things that i've experienced in a, in a business sense um, i've been to networking events where i have been the only non-white face in the room um, which isn't unusual it's a situation that i've grown accustomed to throughout my life you know, even as a, as a youngster, I was one of very few black or other minorities in school or university. That in itself is not a problem for me because I've grown used to it, but it does speak to some of the perhaps the systemic issues that we have as a society. But the flip side of that is when you are what the only or one of the few black faces in a room, people's attitudes tend to go, you know, one of two ways. So to put it in perspective, I was at a conference event where there was kind of a drinks reception in the evening. I was the only, you know, black attendee and somebody tapped me on the shoulder and asked me to get them a drink because they thought I was one of the wait staff. You know, and it's like actually, no, I'm I've been here all day, I've been on the stand, I've been doing all and it's like it's that kind of thing that I'm sure they did not mean to cause offence. But mm -hmm. the fact of the matter remains is that at that moment, they saw a black man in this event dressed in a suit, I hasten to add, and they assumed yeah. that I was wake star. So is that an example of what's known as unconscious bias? They, weren't they didn't decide to do something racist, which somebody who's overtly racist will go out of their way to be unpleasant. They just wanted to drink from someone they assumed was a waiter, which is racist, but unconscious. And, and that's just it. I think the, one of the biggest issues I think we face, particularly in business, is about, like you say, the unconscious side of things. It's not the same as somebody shouting you know, abuse at you in the street. That's that very overt side of things, which I think we're all aware of. And we know it happens. And when it happens, people you know, will, will call it out and, and you know, they will object to it. But the unconscious side of things is, I guess, what you would call the, the systemic racism. It's a sort of thing that has led us to this situation where, as a society, there are constructs that allow a society as a whole to be racist and people to either suffer from that or the consequences of that or benefit from it, depending on which side that they're on. But it's not something that people necessarily actively engage with. Mm. So 
the way that it's often been broached with me is the idea that actually you could have, you know, quotas to say, well, actually you need to have this many, whether it's black people or Asian people or women or whatever it might be, whichever category you wish to, to divide people into. And say so you need to have people in the boardroom or in senior positions in the business and so on. Now, the thing is, is that you, it's easy to look at that and go, but that's just tokenism. You know, that's just putting people there to, to box tick. The other way to look at it is that the system is often built in such a way that those people haven't been given the same opportunities right from the very start of primary education. Therefore, what you're trying to do is actually reverse some of those actions because at the end of the day, people in higher positions in business, for example, are the ones that are typically responsible for the hiring. You're responsible for the policies and the culture of the business. If you don't have people that can reflect the society as a whole, in those positions, then their own implicit biases will then impact the culture of the business and society at large. Mm. I think that there might be people out there listening to this who are in those positions of power, in those hiring and perhaps firing positions, who might be a little affronted by what you said, I'm not like that. And I think my first comment to people like that would be, yeah, maybe you're not, but maybe others are. And clearly, we're talking in generalizations today, so no one should take anything personally. But also, I would say to those people, well, you would say that, wouldn't you? Because the trouble about unconscious bias is you don't know you're doing it. So to say I don't do that is a completely invalid statement. You can't say I don't practice unconscious bias, whether it's against women or, or people of color or whatever else. And I think that's the thing about unconscious bias is that I think we, we all have it in some way or another. I, I do as well, you know, at the end of the day. It's just how you recognize that and how that manifests itself. A slightly less contentious example is that people will often say, for example, uh, when I'm driving along, you know, I always let people out of junctions unless it's a BMW because you know, <laughs> all BMW drivers are, insert something negative here. You know? Now, that is a form of bias. It sounds like a ridiculous example, and it's one that people go, oh, yeah, well, I, I can empathize with that. But the fact of the matter is, is that it is a bias that people hold. Yeah. I think, really, the, the whole unconscious bias thing leads me to the, the, the other question I wanted to talk about before we finish off, because these are a, a series of short conversations with people. And it's really the question of what, what can and should white people be doing to improve the situation is, is a half a question. And sort of to expand on that is if I reluctantly accept that I might be somebody who displays unconscious bias because I'm unconscious, it's unconscious, I don't know about it. How do I go about finding out whether I am do that? How do I improve? And the other side of it is the same question, but about people of color. It's, it's not just, you know, should I be inviting people of color to a networking meeting that I go to, which has exclusively white people in it, not by design, but that's just the way it pans out. But also should black people, Asian people, Chinese people, Iranian people, whoever, be behaving differently to play their part in making the world better in that respect, making the business world better? To start with the first question then, I think it's really about 
recognizing that when you can see that there are things that you may have benefited from or there are things that you might be doing unconsciously, recognizing that is a, a very important first step. Recognizing that you do it doesn't make you a bad person. You know, admitting to yourself that you do these things doesn't make you a bad person. Trying to change the attitudes and behaviors that you might hold, that is going to be the way forward. And there's a term that I've seen used a lot recently in the press with everything that's been, been going on the last couple of weeks about allies. And it's one of those things that I'm a bit on the fence about whether I like it or not, because it does make it sound very much, you know, with us or against us. Um, and whether people see that as a good thing or not, that's, that's their own personal opinion. But I think it's once you can recognize that these situations occur, it's calling it out when you see it, whether it's the very overt things that might happen in an office or whether it's the more subtle things. Case in point, you know, when it comes to things like recruitment. There are people out there who will take a look at the names on the CVs and immediately put people with a slightly foreign sounding name into the no pile. You know, mm -hmm. now there might be various reasons for that. But the fact of the matter is, is that that sort of behavior is not really acceptable and it is not giving people a fair shake. I think as well, education, because at the end of the day, if you are somebody who has not been the direct recipient of racism, there will be all sorts of things going on that you may not be aware of. So there's lots of resources out there, plenty of books that I think have been published on the subject. And, you know, there's, there's I mean, there's, there's all sorts now, especially on social media, you know, places to get these sorts of resources. But I think educating yourself around, you know, the sorts of things that go on is critical because until you know what somebody has experienced, you can't necessarily see it through their eyes. Mm -hmm. And the sorts of, and because it's often very subtle, if you don't know it's there, you might miss it. The analogy I always use is the Me Too movement of the last few years. Mm -hmm. You know, I was aware that there were problems with sexual assault and so on. I had no idea just how commonplace it was until I started those dialogues, you know, with my wife and with my female friends and things like that. And as a guy, it was truly shocking just how bad it was so i feel it's a very similar sort of approach in terms of what you know for example me as a black person can do i think it's recognizing that this is a very difficult topic to talk about and it's something that if you're anything like me i've experienced racism since the time i was about four or five years old i'm now 33 therefore i have developed defense mechanisms i have become somewhat jaded about the subject at times but what it means is that often conversations don't happen. <laughs> if we don't have the conversations, then nothing will change. So somebody asking you about your experiences or asking you questions that previously your walls might have come up is recognizing that actually, if somebody's asking and wants to talk to you about these things, it's because they're trying to educate themselves, they're trying to learn. And that's a good thing. And how do you approach that in terms of business? Well, don't be afraid to go to networking events to to put yourself out there one of the things that i think i've said to you before mark was that over the years i've, I've almost tried to try to fit in as a, as a kid and then you try to to blend in because you realize that no matter what you do people will always remind you of the fact that you are ticking the other box but blending in and business don't mix so pushing yourself out of your comfort zone and recognizing that actually you're going to have to put yourself out there you're going to have to recognize that you need to be able to 
take those, what a better word, risks to, to be front and centre of conversations to actually progress things is, only, is the only way forward. Yeah. Really thought-provoking comments. Thank you very much. I am delighted you used the word conversation. I'm delighted that I've had the conversation. I'm delighted that you've had the conversation. I'm delighted that I've had the conversation with you. So that's good. I'm also delighted that I recently invited you to a, a networking event and that you virtual, of course, in this day and age. And hopefully you'll be coming along to some future such events as well. And I like the fact that the world seems to be edging in the right direction on this topic and not before time, I have to say. So I just want to finish by saying thank you so much for having the conversation, for being an open and honest person to have a a conversation with. And I look forward to our paths crossing again soon. Yeah, thank you very much, Mark. And uh, yeah, I'd like to say likewise, it's been a really good conversation to have and I've um, enjoyed myself. So thank you very much. I am of Indian origin. So I was born here. My parents are from India. Well, my mother is from India. My father's from Kenya. Um, and they were first generation Indians into the UK. So my upbringing, generally speaking, actually, it's been happy. It's been fairly straightforward. No major glitches other than I guess, life taking over. Um, But I guess I haven't really suffered, so I'm quite lucky in the fact that I haven't suffered with any sort of real bad blemishes uh, in terms of racism. So would you say you've suffered racism in a a work environment, uh, even if not in sort of day-to-day life? Yes. I've got one particular experience, um, which I guess really was quite traumatic for me actually for a long time was about six years ago uh, working for a big four organization um, as a director of global immigration services so managing a team of approximately 100 employees um, and also running fairly large multinational corporate accounts as well Um, and the type of racism that I experienced was discrimination I guess where there was a point that we had a, a partner joining the firm so effectively my boss and at first, the relationship started very, very well. You know, we assisted one another. I helped her to embed herself into the team, into the actual organization itself. Um, and then there came a point, and I don't know what that turning point was, where it was almost like she just turned against every non-white British person in the team. And to put it um, sort of mildly, I guess, really. I mean, if you can imagine a mass exodus of approximately eight non-white British individuals from the team, and that just wasn't a coincidence. There was a reasoning behind it. it there was a, a label to a certain extent. And, you know, this lady was the head of an immigration department. She was white British. Definitely in the wrong position to be in an immigration services firm. Um, <laughs> assisting um, foreign nationals to get into the UK or outbound as well. And if, if I can talk a little bit about the, the type of, I guess, um, discrimination, it was just rudeness, being sort of passive aggressive, I guess, not talking to me very pleasantly in, in front of other people, particularly in a smaller white crowd, if you like, if I can use that word, rather than there being people of colour present blaming me for a lot of 
things that or you know particular projects where there are issues and I found myself working 24-7 literally around the clock for about two weeks um, whereby one night I woke up in the morning about 12 o'clock in the morning having been slumped in this study where I'm sitting now um, at my desk um, and just it's still in my work clothes not having seen my children um, obviously the night before not having had dinner with them and I just thought to myself like enough is enough so everything that went wrong in that business environment it just seemed to be my my fault and I raised it with um, obviously the employers but I was sick um, anxious I'd have um, breathing difficulties palpitations went to my GP um, tried to obviously get support with that um, and it came down to just one thing, and it was my working environment and this one female boss that had made me feel a certain way. So it's not direct racism, if, if that makes sense, but there was clearly a pattern of some sort of discrimination that was ongoing within this team. And everybody, everybody that left had the same complaint as well. To give you an example, um, when I decided to leave, I, I brought it up at that point because this organisation had a zero tolerance policy to any sort of um, non-diversity and non-inclusiveness, if you like. So I complained to the um, very senior partner, sort of head of business for diversity and inclusiveness. And I think they, she said, well, you've got to go on record with it. You've got to go on record, make it known, because we do have a zero tolerance policy to this. Of course, I'm one person uh, in this huge cog, if you like, in this chain, um, a business chain, a, a global multinational business. And I just did, I felt scared, you know, to raise it. And now thinking back now, if I had raised it, maybe I would have been able to change something, um, you know, mm. within that organization. But it just would have been one plus point, I guess, positive change. Okay. But I just couldn't bring myself to do it. No, and and I do get that, and and things like the Me Too movement in terms of of abuse, sexual abuse of women, and things like that enable people better to say Me Too and and to have their voice heard. But before there's a Me Too thing, you are sort of on your own, and I'll I'll come back to that in a moment if I may. But just thinking about the, you said something about it not being overt racism. So I interpret that as being you weren't being called racist names and things like that. But in a way, you were, I use the word just loosely, but you were just being bullied and harassed and, and given a hard time. But the commonality was that you and all of the other people of color was the people that that was being done to. So do you think that to a degree that's what's known as unconscious bias? Would you think that they were doing that on purpose or unconscious or actually from the perspective of the victim if i can use that word for that scenario does it matter which it is it was happening absolutely i would agree and i would agree with obviously it's, it's unconscious bias so uh, but this leader i guess uh, my boss she'd also been had a reputation for actually conducting herself in this way at another organization big four organization and let's face it there aren't many of them so i'm obviously not naming them so obviously her behavior um had been seen previously at another organization and people talk very difficult very difficult if you look at the situation now with black Lives matters becoming much more of a campaign than it already was and people generally, the masses, seeming to me, and I'll call myself a privileged white person, seeming to me to 
be different, to be important, to be making changes. Do you see that as happening? And thinking again of, of your business and networking that you do and, and relationships with businesses that you work with, are you seeing any changes? Do you find some movement in the relationship and the impact of your colour? Yes, Black Lives Matter. It's been very, very publicised in the media um, and it's very sad um, how it's come about. And it's a shame that it has to take something like this for it to be, for, you know, to raise awareness, if you like. Um, I mean, I believe that, you know, the battle with racism is far from one right now. Um, but I think situations or circumstances, unfortunate circumstances that arise like this, I think that's when people stand up and take notice. But I think it's up to all of us, not just obviously those that are marginalised, and I perhaps could count myself in that sort of ethnic bracket, but I think it's up to each and every one of us to try and recognise that racism impacts us all, and it's the responsibility of everyone to try and eradicate that. The ways that we could do that, I think, you know, just to give you an example, I guess we've got, you know, the Pride um, festivals. You know, why not have something to celebrate people of colour or just colour and culture? You know, that just doesn't mean Indian, Asian, Black people, but that's across the board, you know, people who are white as well. Because I think there needs to be some sort of celebration that whilst we've come so far, there's still a long way to go as well. So I think in society, we need to think less emotionally and sort of not be blindsided and um, take a stand to a certain extent, possibly introducing, you know, at, at work, I can think of an example that we have, or I used to have lots of this corporate training, online training, anti-bribery, anti-corruption, that type of training. But why not about anti-oppression training as well, so that it's recognised, so not just running typically these types of courses for just those who are in the ethnic minorities to get them up the ladder um, or to, I guess, put them into one category and just label them with this type of training, but offer it across the board. So change the dynamic in working culture, in, you know, even in schools as well, to provide that training right from childhood years and, and talk about it openly so that it makes a difference yeah. in the future and time to come. I, I, I completely get that. I support that. They always say it's the victors who write the history. <laughs> And maybe it's time for a number of countries, perhaps, in, no, not perhaps, definitely including this one, to be thinking about the history that it teaches and, and the relationships that it's creating between its people. I love it when people answer a question just before I ask it. So, Sorry. No, 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 no. It's, it's clever of you to, to do that. The question I was going to ask, and I'll still ask it, but just to put a give you a chance to put a different spin on on the answer is what can white business people do right now and i i yeah it's a business podcast so i intentionally put the word business in there should i be making sure that i invite people of color to business networking meetings if i go to a business networking meeting and and it's the if it's the kind of meeting where i can just wander over to somebody who looks interesting and start talking to them should i make a point of making sure that i go to somebody who's black or someone who's asian and start that conversation or is that what's i believe known as positive discrimination and is that a, is but it, but is that a bad thing if it's making me think why have i 
gone and spoken to three white people. Why haven't I gone and spoken to that Asian person? Surely that's a good thing for me to be thinking and not ignoring all the white guys, but making sure that I got told off recently for using the phrase colorblind because to me, if you're a good business contact, I don't care what gender you are, how many legs you have or what color you are. What I care about is, are you going to be a good solicitor for me or are you going to be a good customer for me? And I was told off for using the phrase colorblind because then it's denying the heritage of that person. And, and a lot of people sort of clutch their heads and, you know, I can't win, you know, what, what am I supposed to do? So I don't know if you have any views on positive discrimination. I don't know if you have any views on what white business people can and should be doing right now. It's a very fair question, I think, and I agree with you that it's very, very difficult in this day and age because you there are no winners almost. You know, you, you don't win if you go go forwards and introduce yourself to um, a, a group of people of colour, um, or if you speak to you know the white crowd first. I think that's a difficult one, but I think what I believe is, and I'll answer your question with an example, if you like, actually. So um, a few years ago, I was invited as part of the BAME community at an organisation to attend and an sort of a, a BMA, BAME training course. Um, and that was because there was certainly statistics to show that um, at senior management level, which is where I was at the time, um, either men or women have difficulty in moving to the next level, which is director level at this particular organisation. And almost 70%, or it might have been more than 70% actually, seemingly leave the organisation because they either get sidelined or completely overlooked um, at getting to sort of, you know, up the professional ladder, if you like. So I was selected, uh, and I guess it was just a random selection by the organisation to attend a BAME training course. And it felt really, really weird to be there because I was in amongst, obviously, black Asian, Indian, Pakistani um, individuals, I guess, employees of the same organisation. And we were being trained almost by two black women who were very, very good at their job. Obviously, they're recruited or they're brought into the organisation. They're an external resource um, to provide this training. And the question that was asked is, why do you think that the AME community um, individuals don't get to the next level and they leave? Um, and it was, I just found it really, really strange training. Yet I was invited to go to a training course by the same organisation, which was Women in Leadership um, over at Cranfield University. And that was really riveting. It was really interesting stuff. And I think sometimes just to be labelled or put into one particular category, such as the BAME community training course, I think that's sort of putting a label on you itself. And therefore, I think to answer your question, me personally, I would say that if I walked into a room and it was, you know, crowded with white people at a networking event, I think I'd, be want, I'd want to be treated like every other person in that room and to be introduced as the person went through the room. So if you were in the room, obviously coming up to me, but not directly making a beeline for me, I think that made me feel even more nervous and yeah. more sort of um, labelled, I guess, to a certain extent. Yeah. So I, I think, yeah, just to be inclusive. Yeah. I, I, I am going to thank you for that answer, and it doesn't necessarily make my life any easier in trying to do the right thing. But 
I think that your closing words there about being inclusive is what counts. It's not about positive discrimination. It's about treating people equally. And I have always tried to do that. I will continue to try to do that. And lots of people have always done that. And I hope that they will continue to do so. And there are some people who haven't always done that. And maybe now is the time that they stop and think about themselves and and their behaviours and maybe change some of those behaviours. So I'm going to say thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much for your words. And I hope you enjoy listening to this when it goes live and to some of the other comparable episodes that I'm doing as well. Well, there you go. Two guests who I found it very interesting to talk to. Two guests who I hope you found it very interesting to listen to. The objective of this program is not to give any listeners a hard time. And if you're sitting there thinking that perhaps I have, it wasn't my intention. My intention was and is to make you stop, to make you think. Most people who I know would not consider themselves racist. I don't consider myself racist, but I think that a lot of us could potentially be guilty of unconscious bias. A lot of us could behave in different ways that would perhaps be better. And I heard a talk by somebody recently who was saying that it was not good enough to just not be a racist. You have to be an anti-racist. And you know what? Here I am doing this podcast, doing my little bit, and I'm not looking for praise and kudos. I'm just looking to do my little bit to give some people of color a voice and to give some people of all sorts of colors, including white, the opportunity to listen to those voices and to just draw whatever conclusions they wish to from those voices. As I said at the beginning, this is a two-part podcast. That was part one. Part two is coming very soon. I hope you liked this podcast. I hope you, I'm not sure enjoyed is the right word. I hope you got something from it and I hope it motivates you to listen to the second part where we have two very different people speaking in some similar ways, but with their own voices and with their own opinions. So I hope you listen to part two soon. But for now, this is Mark Harris, Enterprise Doctor, signing off. <laughs>